welcome to episode 10. Let the games begin. That's the title of the episode, but also... Home. Away. From. Dome. Alright. So, welcome to episode 10 of Home Away from Dome. We made it. We made it to double digits. Um, we're never going to make it to triple digits. The show only has 40 episodes, but... Uh, we're actually, I, I guess this is the, uh, we've passed the quarter waypoint. Um, 25% of the episodes have now been covered or will be by the end of this episode. So time flies when you're stuck in a dome. Uh, anyway, this is one of my favorite episodes so far. Um, it's what I've been waiting for for all of season one. It's the Fight Club. Um, so let's, let's just dive in. Okay, so to start things off, we have the, um, I'm going to start calling them the Children of the Dome. Uh, so Joe, Nori, and Angie, and they're looking at the mini-dome. Um, by the way, Children of the Dome is a play on Children of the Corn. Um, you can read my follow-up podcast, uh, Home Away from Corn, where I can dive into that if you're unfamiliar with it. But <laughs> I don't know why I explained that. I feel like most people know Children of the Corn. Anyway, um, so they're all, they decided to, uh, after they found it in the barn, uh, they all slept weirdly in the barn. Um, I think if they slept in Joe's house, they might have to talk to Carol, who is still just not there, so they were like, or Carolyn. Um, so they're just like, okay, let's sleep in the barn. And Nori handcuffed herself to Joe so they wouldn't sleepwalk away, which was funny. But like, at the same time, I, like she can also theoretically be controlled by the dome so it doesn't really mean anything like they could just both get up I don't know why she thinks Joe is the only one that it could happen to but anyway uh, they're sitting around they're like oh look there's a there's a caterpillar inside the mini dome and Joe's like look at those black and white and yellow stripes it's a caterpillar that will turn into a monarch butterfly the monarch will be crowned what is there no metaphor? Is the dome going to appoint this caterpillar as the as its new king? It's going to crown it? I don't know. It just I would just hate this dome if I was Joe and Nori. Like, imagine, like, it's giving you seizures. It's making you wake up in the middle of the night, and now it looks like it wants to, like, appoint a caterpillar as your new king. It's like... I don't know. I would not... I wouldn't be a fan of that. <laughs> anyway... Uh, you may have remembered from last episode, the fourth hand, that they are looking for the fourth hand. We still have to find whoever the fourth handprint belongs to. Someone with seizures. We should find others who've had them. Um, our good pal Dottie shows up. Uh, Dottie is very paranoid and suspicious of the children of the dome. Uh, and so she sneaks up on them. I don't know how... I don't know. It's very weird that she, like, snuck into Joe's barn. I don't even think she would have known where Joe's barn was. But anyway, sneaks in, puts her hand on the dome like a buffoon because that never works. But anyway, uh, and she gets zapped back, um, loses her memory, and they take her to the hospital, and she's like... I remember electricity. Was it, was it the generator outside the radio station? It's like, yeah, Dottie. Doty, you touched a generator. And she's like, okay. Seemed like that storyline just sort of ended. We'll see if that goes anywhere. Um, the big storyline for this episode, though, is about Maxine. Uh, big Jim and Barbie are sort of trying to team up against her. 
Because, you know, she sells that insurance policy so they can't murder her. Both Big Jim and Barbie, zero problems with murder. Um, the fun thing about this episode is that they both have secrets that they don't want revealed. Um, they, Big Jim uh, sort of sold the town for drugs, and Barbie uh, murdered Peter Shumway. But both of those secrets actually get revealed to the only people who care about it this episode. So it doesn't... Um, I don't know, it's sort of cool how they do that. Um, anyway, so Maxine comes in in the middle of it and is like, Jim, Jimmy, can you go shopping for me? Espresso, dark chocolate, silk-infused conditioner. I like my luxuries. Just because this damn dome came down doesn't mean I'm going to do without. There are abandoned houses. I'm sure you can find some of that stuff. No, I'm not, I'm not doing your shopping. No, just Jimmy. You and I have other business to attend to. Maxine, just great character, you know. Uh, she's a no-nonsense crime boss, but she's also like, uh, Jimmy, I need espresso and coffee, uh, chip chip. I don't know. Meanwhile, she's like hitting on Barbie the whole time. I don't know. She's got a real like weird girl power type of vibe. Like women can be criminals too, um, but better because she's. She's, she's very anti-brothel. She, she, she introduces a fight club to town. She's all about people's vices, but she's like, whoa. I don't deal in prostitution, ever. Got that? And you know what? Good for her. That's, that's great. But I don't know. I don't get her character that much, honestly. Maybe it's this show dumbing me down, and it's like she's a morally gray character. But you know what happens to morally gray characters on this show? Big Jim will just come and kill them. And, like, that happens later in the episode. <laughs> I don't get to that. He doesn't kill Max, but there's a more morally gray character. Uh, I don't know. Ooh. Smoke. Hope that's not a fire. Sorry, just looking out my window. <laughs> um, big shout-out to Lindsay, by the way, for rearranging our apartment. So now I get to look out the window. I would never have seen that smoke before. Alright. Oh, you know what's crazy? I've been looking at the wrong page of my notes. That's why I'm jumping around so much. Um, oh yeah, so Big Jim and Barbie before Maxine comes in, Big Jim has a line where he's like, Take that screw you over? You're a used car salesman, Jim. Man, is that a low blow. You can see Jim's like, I can't believe you'd call me that. And by that I mean calling him Jim instead of Big Jim. Um, he gets really emasculated in this episode. He gets called Jim instead of Big Jim. And he gets called uh, Jimmy by Maxine. So not a good episode for him. That's probably why he murders her mom. Um, it's a good uh, back at you move. All right, let's see. Let's see what else happens in this episode. Oh, so Linda and Julia, they're both uh, investigating this episode. Um, Linda's tr they're trying to figure out what's up with all this propane. And so Linda's like, there's this security footage and um maxine's there but they don't know her and uh that and then duke pulls up and it cuts to footage of clearly some background actor in a cowboy hat and i just want to go in on this once again duke was with us for about five minutes of screen time i'd say like he has so little character they try and take everything we know about him and stretch it out to be like a fully fledged character so in this episode linda's like I only wish I knew where he would have hidden his secrets. And Julia's like, You knew Duke better than anyone. Where else would he stash something? 
All he really cared about was that hat. And he never took that hat off his head. You know, that hat that he wore in episode one. And then we look in the hat, and there's a key in there. Well, hello there. What are you in luck? Now, a few things. One, it's silly. But two, Linda's also already worn this hat because, once again, the only thing we knew about Duke was he liked to sleep with the hat over his head in the jail cell. So Linda slept with that hat over her head. She didn't notice the key then. Um, I don't know. It's just... he. Duke is nothing. He's a guy who was here, wore a cowboy hat, and was a police officer. We learn more about him in this episode, but it's so generic, and I don't know. I, I, just, I just had to comment on that. Anyway, uh, Julia and Linda go off to the uh, local bank uh, to go into a safe deposit box to see what Duke left Linda. The key in the hat was to a safe deposit box. Um, on that thread, when they go to the bank... They, uh, they walk, there's just money laying all over the place, and they're like, We could take all the cash in here. It wouldn't mean a thing. I don't know. If I was them, I would pocket it. It doesn't take a lot of space. It was neatly organized 20s. And, you know, maybe one day the dome will reopen, and you can use that money. I don't know. It's no battery or anything, but it's, it's something. Oh, man. Okay, let's get to the, the fun part. Uh, so Junior is driving around town. You know, very menacingly in his police car. There's a guy walking down the street. He sees Junior, and he bolts. Yeah, you're not acting suspicious. And Junior chases him down. Now, you might be thinking, what's this guy doing that's so suspicious? He's carrying salt. Uh, just a thing of salt that you can buy at the grocery store. So, there's two ways to take this. Either one, he's for some reason thought that Junior knew that he was going to use that salt to get into an underground fight club at the cement factory and could prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. Or two, he just saw Junior in a police car looking at him and ran for his life, which is what I have to believe he did. I think people in town are terrified that Junior's a police officer. Um, and if you try and run away, he will, first of all, he, Junior, like, did one of those cool moves where, like, you think the car's on the other side of the road, but he's taking a back alley, and, like, that move makes a lot more sense in New York than Chester's Mill, where I assume they're... I don't know how you lose track of the police car, but... Sorry, that's a tangent there. Um, anyway, yeah, so <laughs> Junior tackles this guy, and he's like... Where are you going so fast? Nowhere. Huh? Oh! Saul? Why steal that? You kidding? Better than cash if you want to get into the cement factory. This is what they want at the cement factory. So Junior goes to the cement factory undercover. Um, <laughs> it seems like his undercover is like a cosplay of Danny Zuko. Like, it's just a white shirt, black pants. Um, he looks like a greaser. He's now carrying the salt, which he apparently stole from this guy. Also, it's not a crime to go to a cement factory, but whatever. So he took the salt. And the guy at the front's like, Big Junior Rennie. Just Junior. What's going on inside? Nothing for you. Come on, Duncan, I got these. Look, I know you're a cop now. It means you don't belong here. There's only two cops in town. Like, of course we know you're a cop. You can't come in. He's like, Hey, I got what's on the list. Let me in. And he's <laughs> so the guy just beats up Junior and then takes his salt and Junior leaves. That's the end of that. Junior never came back. We don't know why he went there. 
was it from like an actual altruistic police officer perspective that like he thought he could take down the crime ring from within does he think that he actually was successful with Olive? I don't know. Or did he did he want to actually fight? <laughs> we never know. He doesn't really. We don't really know why he went there. Or yeah, because when he comes back, he just has to go on with all that children in the dome stuff. <laughs> all right. So why is there a fight club in the cement factory? Well, first of all, why is it in the cement factory? Because they've already paid for it. So we're gonna use it again. Two, uh, Maxine has started it because there's no entertainment in town. There's been no TV, there's been no internet, there's been no fun at all. The best they probably have is DJ Phil. So people are bored, so they go and watch people fight each other. Just a little adult entertainment. And they do it in a sweaty, dank uh, cement factory at the edge of town. <laughs> Run by a crime boss. Um... <laughs> I don't know. But for those keeping track, by the way, this is like episode 10, and I believe it's been about 8 to 9 days. Um, but the whole point of this is a case study. Do I think this will happen in Toronto? Let's take a look. So let's assume that we lose access to television and movies, even though we have several TV studios in Toronto. Um, and to be honest, like our cable infrastructure probably got pretty damaged, but I also feel like we have people in here that could fix it. Let's, let's just assume that we can't watch TV for some reason. Um, we still have a whole bunch of theaters. We have, um, I don't know, we, we have uh, sporting teams I'm sure we could put together. There's, there's a lot of things we could do for entertainment before we get to the point where we create our own basically bum fighting league um the the other thing is of course uh we will have i don't know i don't know how i want to phrase this uh, max was very against brothels and apparently there's none in chester's mill um pretty sure toronto has whatever the proper name for that is strip club i guess um anyway there's a lot of things people can do for entertainment, and th those are just the first things off my mind. Like, I don't know. I just, I can understand the idea of getting bored. It's just such a leap to go to the Fight Club. Um, but you know, the other thing is, there's a lot of people in town. A lot of people, a lot of different tastes. So, let's imagine that this does happen. So, uh, I think the equivalent of an old cement factory at the edge of town. Let's make Toronto Island our Fight Club Island. Um, you can take the boat in, it's nice. Um, and once you get there, you have to fight people. <laughs> if you win, you get salt. Uh, salt and other spices of, uh, that would have been worth more than gold in the 1600s. Um, uh, yeah, and there's uh, gambling and all that stuff. You know what, people might like that. If, if you can attach legal gambling to this, like, like we don't have casinos, but fight clubs, like, you could be like, well, it'll, it'll make a whole new phrase for hit me, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I can't even comment on it too much. It's just, it's just ludicrous. Um, and here's the thing about Chester's Mill is, like, 
Chester's Mill is a small city that you would expect would be pretty homogenous, but every freaking episode, you see a new underside of it. The first few episodes, everybody's just these normal town citizens. But then, you see a whole contingent of big, strong farmer guys with guns coming after you. In this episode, we see the criminal underbelly of Chester's Mill. But, I don't know, but the next episode, when there's a town hall meeting, none of these guys will be there. It's like they just sort of live in the cement factory, so... Anyway. The, the plot line in the Fight Club is that Barbie has to fight a guy uh, that he um, beat up before, because he had to... Or, I don't know, took his money? Because he's an enforcer. He has a lot of guys he's taken money from. Um, Barbie kicks his ass, but then he's like, nah, I'm not I'm not going to win just because Max told me. So he, he throws the fight. And then Max's like, I knew you'd throw the fight, so I bet against you, and I want a lot of money. And Barbie's like, damn. <laughs> and then Max is like, aren't we a great team, Barbie? Don't we work so well together? Trying to get together with him. Um... She's like, you and me together, there's nothing we couldn't do. And maybe that's true, but I don't know what Barbie's bringing to the equation. He, he, he does the opposite of everything you say. Like, if, if the goal is that you want a guy dumb enough that you can manipulate to do the opposite of what you say, maybe that works. But I'm sure there's other people who could fill that role better. Even Big Jim. Alright, so Big Jim's storyline. So, Big Jim goes and he has to find Max's insurance policy which is somebody that uh, knows all of her secrets. Yeah, she says she's staying at a house whose owners got trapped outside the dome. No, no, she's too smart for that. You know, she's got this uh, legitimate real estate company. You know which houses are hers? The town clerk's office got record. I'll, uh, I'll go check it out. So he finds her residential address, boats over to the island that that's on. The island is still in the dome. Uh, and meets somebody and she's like, oh yeah, I just, um, I just run the, um, I just clean up the house for Mr. Gregory or something like that. And Jim's like, oh, when, when's he coming back? She's like, oh, soon, soon. And then he looks at the family photo and it's her and Max. And he's like, oh shit. And she's like, yeah, Max's mom. Maxine didn't learn to be the way she is from her father. It's a warning shot. Um, anyway, so her sob story is basically that she was in Big Jim's year at high school. She had a teenage pregnancy. The town basically exiled her, uh, and she had to sort of basically selling her body. Um, and the town didn't respect her for that, so she turned to a life of crime. Um, I like this character, um, because, you know, it's interesting. I really don't like Max. But, you know, looking at her mom and, like, her perspective of she doesn't just want to be a criminal. She actually hates Chester's Mill, and it seems like she's bringing this crime group and bad people because she doesn't like Chester's Mill. Um, and also it explains why there's no brothels in Maxine's uh, work. Um, so I, I thought her character was interesting. Obviously, she's not perfect. Um, but this is what I mean by morally great characters. Um, because Big Jim basically is just like... Have you ever killed someone, Agatha? Because I have. Even with all that hate in your eyes, I'm not seeing what it takes to kill. But go ahead, prove me wrong. And then Big Jim disarms her. And then he <laughs> he puts her on his boat, and they drive into the lake, and she's, like, all uh, tied up. And she's like, what are you going to do to me? You know? Like, you going to take me back home? going to take me to the station? And Jim's like, I don't know. 
Honestly, he doesn't know. He's just like... My experience has been that with little patience, the world reveals the right course of action. So she stands up like, hey, you better watch it, and she falls into the ocean. She's like... Help me, please! My hands are tied! Jim! Please! And Jim's like, ah, no, this is, you know, this is... This is what I was waiting for, honestly. Something, an idea came to me. So she drowns. Um, yeah, Big Jim basically <laughs> undefeated. Um, Ollie, you know, tried to raise some uh, questions about who should be running the town. Nah, he's not going to last. Uh, Maxine's mom, who I don't know what name she wanted to go by. It was like Claire and... Agatha or something like that. I changed my name. Please, call me Agatha. Anyway, she's dead. Maxine doesn't know any of this, but her insurance policy is dead. So, rewinding a bit, I saw the secrets. So, at the lockbox, basically, Linda finds out that Big Jim did all this drug stuff. And that Barbie, and Julia finds out that Barbie killed Peter. <laughs> There's a letter here. It's a confession. To whom it may concern, my name is Duke Perkins. I made a deal with a devil by the name of Maxine Seagrave. The deal was simple. The town bought the liquid propane she needed under the guise of emergency reserves so the DEA wouldn't look into it. And she'd pay us enough to shore up the town's coffers and keep her drugs, all drugs, out of Chester's mill. He did it to save us. There were two other people in this deal. Lester Coggins, Big Jim Rennie. I don't know, Maxine, all of her leverage disappears instantly, but we don't get to see her reaction this episode, so we'll just have to wait and see on that. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so congested. I hope that's not coming through to the viewing audience today. Alright. Um, oh, so I, I talked about this earlier. Um, I only had a vague memory of this when I first was re-watching the show, but uh, Julia finds out that uh, Barbie killed her husband uh, and you know what it's all good Peter was asking for it he needed you to kill him I found this life insurance policy today you know in some weird way I think he did all this to try to protect me because this would be void if he committed suicide <laughs> it's a it's not a crime if he's asking for it you know that's that's murder for you um, but yeah basically Julia discovers that Peter took out a life insurance policy and he brought his gun with him. Um, the fact that Barbie killed her husband, uh, started a relationship with her, didn't tell her any of this, that's fine. I think deep down I knew something was wrong. I just didn't want to see it. As long as no more lies going forward. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's that storyline. <laughs> really, really high dramatic payoff right there. Um, let's see, what notes did I have on this episode? Oh, the, the Fight Club was described as the grand opening, and there were like 80 people there, all bringing goods. Nobody, I don't know, I always assumed that Fight Club had more of an organic growth, like a grassroots sort of appreciation, but it, take, it took off with a bang. Oh, I wanted to update the fighters list, because um, there were a lot of fights this episode. So, Barbie is, of course... Number one. Winner! He did lose to Victor if you put money on it, but he kicked Victor's ass the entire fight, so Barbie number one with a bullet. Victor number two, though, you know, he put up a good fight. Um, he 
punched Barbie a lot, and Barbie, you know, had the struggle to win that fight. Coming in second place, or third, after Victor, is Guy Guarding the Door Who Punched Junior. Uh, which, of course, means that Junior is in fourth place. Um, Junior's a big, tough guy, but, you know, he never wins fights. K.O. Coming in fifth is the guy Junior tackled. Actually, wait, coming in sixth, Joe. Joe McAllister. And you may wonder, who did Joe fight? Junior. Junior gets his first win by demolishing his girlfriend's brother. Um, so a bit of context here. Angie finally spills the beans and says, yeah, the reason I wasn't around is because Junior, you know, he kidnapped me. <laughs> and Joe's like, because I'm going to kill him. No, Joe, if anyone's going to kill him, it's going to be me. Not before I do. Get out of my way. Joe, stop. Stop it. Both of you, stop. Honestly, I was thinking like, you know what? Maybe Junior's right. Maybe the dome is making people crazy. Um, and not to underplay, Angie, you know, she's got reasons to feel that way. Um, and Joe, too. Um, but they do need him because apparently Junior is the fourth hand. I'm all for kicking Junior's ass if he kidnapped you, Ange. But if he's the fourth hand? Makes sense. You know, his mom drew that weird painting of him. He apparently had a seizure in the eighth grade. That's what we call good foreshadowing by the writers is introducing a completely new event um, with no, uh, no foreshadowing. But anyway... They go over to Junior's mom's studio, and she's like, look at this weird painting of this this bad drawing of Junior. And they're like, Pink stars. This and the fact that he's had seizures? I'm still gonna kill him. The guy's a psycho. No, Joe, it doesn't matter what we want. It matters what the dome wants. Junior walks in, he's like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> and you know what, Junior? <laughs> I'm on Junior's side. I'd be a bit offended if, like... I showed somebody my, like, basically my last memory of my dead parents, and <laughs> they were like, hey, I'm going to bring my kid brother and, her, and her, his new girlfriend over. Um, especially because the minute he walks in, Joe decides it's game time and goes to beat up Junior. You son of a bitch! No! 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 Junior instantly incapacitates him and goes for this weird neck hold that sort of looks like he's about to snap his neck, but... Uh, Angie makes him stop. You're not my sister! Junior! You promised my dad you wouldn't tell anyone about that? I had to! Eventually, they all decide, you know what, we're the four hand men of the dome apocalypse. The four of us are connected to something amazing. Uh, and they go to the barn and they all put their hand on the dome. And you know Barbie's line about a planetarium Lindsay put in the out of context stuff? Basically, that's what the egg does. It just shines a bunch of light out, and you can see stars. It's the pink stars. And they're making constellations. Beautiful. And she literally is like, cool, but like... What does it mean? And that's how the episode ends. Because none of this means anything. Um, oh, also the caterpillar became a chrysalis, as Joe reminds Nori. The dialogue basically goes like this. Is that an egg? With a mini dome around it. Hey, look. The caterpillar's in a cocoon now. It's actually a chrysalis. He's a nerd. Who's she telling that to? Angie? Or Junior? Both people who've known Joe way longer than she has. She's known him for nine days. Angie's his sister, and Junior... 
they don't seem to like each other, but they seem very friendly, or not friendly, very like, you know, they know each other, they've talked, um, and I don't know, Joe doesn't exactly hide the fact that he's a nerd. Oh, Linda tries to arrest Big Jim, uh, because, you know, she knows all of the illegal stuff he's done, and Big Jim goes, What a hell of a day, Linda. Whatever it is you think we need to talk about, you can wait till the morning. She's like, yep. So, another big win for Linda. Right after she actually did some solid police work, finding out her boss was responsible for a lot of the crimes in town. Um, I don't know, not, not a... She wasn't able to go two for two, unfortunately. Anyway, um, that's episode 10 um, of 13 of season 1. Uh, that was the Fight Club. I don't think the Fight Club's going to come back, although they didn't, they didn't close it down, so you never know. Next episode's called Speak of the Devil. The thumb cap... Thumb cap? Thumbnail image? I don't know. Is uh, Big Jim at the radio station. That's good. We haven't seen the radio in a few days. Um, maybe he's going to be telling people about a deal on used cars. As an aside, I don't know if we ever in the show go to Big Jim's used car dealership, so that would be really nice. Anyway, it's it only heats up from here. We're building to the finale. Come back uh, next week, or next few days, who knows, uh, and we'll get to episode 11. Um, although we might have a special episode first, who knows. We might do something special for our 10th episode. Anyway, thanks for listening. Couldn't do it without you. Um, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I could. <laughs> but couldn't do it without uh, the real fans. That's that's you, the, the person listening. All of you. Even even Lindsay listening is a real f- oof. I meant I meant to really specialize Lindsay there, but now it sounds like it's like the opposite. Anyway, bye. <laughs> everyone glad you've stuck with us for 10 episodes now um so there's a few things in this episode that steve didn't touch on and as we've watched more and more of this show i've just been getting more and more frustrated with a few things um i am going to talk about it in a future episode a bit more but i wanted to touch on a few things that really irked me during this episode we didn't actually come up with a clever title for it so maybe Lindsay's gripes or something but here they are So the first thing I wanted to touch on was there is a bruise on Big Jim's head from the time that they were storming Ollie's place and Junior hit him with the butt of his gun. And don't get me wrong, I think it's great that they've kept that and they're saying, oh, it's only been a few days so he would still have the cut on his head. But the makeup for it is atrocious. And in this episode, it's really apparent how bad it is because they basically have a circular red spot on his otherwise very pasty head. And depending on the lighting and the scene, it's different colors. Honestly, I can't explain to you how frustrating it is to look at. You just have to watch it or see a picture, but it's so bad. The next thing is, uh, this one's pretty funny, but it still took me out of the moment a little bit. We're in this really badass, cool, you know, fight, fight zone, whatever you want to call it, fight club. And uh, before they started fighting, there seemed to be some sort of unwritten rule that 
the two men, instead of shaking hands or something, are supposed to, I guess it's like boxing when you touch gloves, but since they don't have boxing gloves on, they still go to fist bump before they start fighting. And I just thought that was so strange. And the guy who's fighting Barbie goes to do it. Barbie goes to fist bump him and the guy takes a pot shot at him. So why even have that unwritten rule or whatever it is? It just, it just felt very strange. Um, this is a clip. It has nothing to do with that, to be honest, but I just loved it. It's where after Barbie loses, most of the people in the crowd are very upset, but a couple people right near him are very excited. And you hear someone in the crowd go, winner, winner. Winner, winner. Yeah, so I just really wanted to include that. Um, okay, so moving on to something much less lighthearted. Uh, we're talking about Duke's confessional for a second. Now, there was a lot I could go on and on about how confusing it was and, and just how ridiculous the whole idea was in the plot. Like, the idea that you're paying and helping someone who sells drugs to keep drugs out of your town is just the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. But that's not even what I want to touch on. Uh, there is a plot point, I guess, or a motivation that is revealed where Duke's son died from drug overdose 19 years ago. And when it's revealed, uh, not only does it matter so little to us as the audience, because as Steve said earlier, we just don't care about Duke, but it also clearly mattered so little to Linda. This is her response. 19 years ago, I lost my son to drugs. Did you know this? You never talked about it. Yeah, so honestly, I, I, I wasn't even sure. It was so irrelevant that at first we didn't even want to include it, but I figured it's so frustrating I would put it in my gripes. Um, okay, so moving on to the last people I want to talk about are Julia and Peter. Now, Julia, in this episode, it wasn't really explained earlier, but basically Julia finds the life insurance policy in Peter's box. And the only reason she goes into the box is because she's there with Linda at the bank. Now, Linda just found this key, and that's why she only just went into Duke's box. But Julia has had Peter's key the whole time. So if you'll remember in the first few episodes, her whole motivation was figuring out what happened to her husband. And at no point did she think maybe he left something in the box. She literally has been thinking the last few days that he planned to leave her and didn't think, oh, well, let me check what was in his box. I, I just... And, and here's the thing, maybe a normal person wouldn't think it through that much, but she's supposed to be this super, you know, super smart reporter. And she didn't even think to check something she has access to. That just drove me crazy. Now, on the other side of things, when her and Barbie are having their talk at the end, and she reveals that, you know, um, his gun didn't have any bullets in it, but his gun is missing, so clearly he did go to meet Barbie with the gun without bullets, etc., and he had the life insurance policy, and he wanted Barbie to kill him, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but let's think about this for a sec. If Peter wanted Barbie to kill him because he wanted there to be a payout so that Julia could pay off all the debts or whatever. Why would he do it that way? He literally went to get killed by Barbie 
who he was his bookie's enforcer, who he was meeting without anyone's knowledge. Like, even if there wasn't the dome situation, of, of course Barbie's not gonna report it to the police or something. Like, I don't really understand what Peter thought was gonna happen, and I was trying to talk this through with Steve, and I was like, maybe the police or something, and he's like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe there's other rules to it, but, but I still think there was, everyone in this town had, had guns. We learned that. So you could have picked anyone to start a fight with and get shot, and you chose to meet without telling anyone. He could have even told Julia he was going to this cabin so she would be suspicious or something and someone needed to find him dead. With everyone thinking that he's just run away, no one gets that payout. So literally, his whole motivation doesn't make sense. So basically, Peter is dumb, Julia is dumb, and oh, and there's this great moment after all is said and done and they're all emotional and Barbie says to her, I'm I'm so sorry for everything. And for whatever reason, she responds back, Me too. Why, why is she sorry? What in the heck has Julia done other than be yanked around by Barbie and Peter? So I, I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, sorry for just letting it out. I, uh, I really, uh, I really am trying to enjoy these, uh, TV shows, but unlike Steve, I have a tougher time dealing with the, uh, bad, uh, bad writing and etc. Anyways, you guys might be hearing from me sooner than later. Talk to you soon. Bye.